Well, I invite you to take the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter uh, 28. Exodus and uh, chapter uh, 28. We uh, spent some time from uh, chapter 25 through chapter 27 to consider the tabernacle. And here in chapter 28, we've been looking at the uh, priestly garment. And we're going to pull up here. Let me turn the projector on so we have uh, uh, an illustration here uh, on the screen. And so we looked at a number of things. Uh, first of all, the ephod and the girdle. The girdle is a belt. We looked at the breastplate. And uh, in the breastplate, there was a, um, the Urim and Thummim. And so if somebody asks you, what's the Urim and the Thummim? Say, I don't know. But uh, here are some things that we know about what the Urim and the Thummim was used for. And um, uh, again, the... That the details are only as important as they point us to Christ. When you study the Bible, if you say, Oh, look at what I found. Here is all of those wonderful things. If they don't point you to Christ or the Lord, if you're just amazed at all of the details in and of themselves, and you're missing the point. Uh, and here, all of those details point us to Jesus Christ. Now, uh, let me say here on a personal note that as a preacher and a student of the Bible, I have to confess that um, I feel inadequate to fully explain every aspect and um, every piece of the tabernacle and the garments of the priest to the full extent. And the truth is, as we've looked at some things, I, I have to say, well, I, I really don't, don't know um, how that points me to Christ. It doesn't mean it doesn't point us to Christ, it's just I don't know how it does. Now, the best I can do is show us Jesus Christ and instill in, uh, instill in us a greater appreciation for our Lord and Savior and for the wonderful work of redemption. And so the truth is, as only one preacher, I cannot exhaust the Scriptures. I'm certain that uh, many preachers could do a better job. But all I can do is declare to you that our Lord is worthy of your love and devotion. That's, that's what I know. And I hope that in some way uh, that is what uh, you gain from this. So notice Exodus chapter 20, we're going to begin reading in verse 31. We're going to look at a few items that are part of the furniture or part of the garment of the priest. And uh, notice verse 31, Exodus 20, verse 31, And thou shalt make the robe of the ephod all of blue. And there shall be an hole in the top of it, in the midst thereof. It shall have a binding of woven work round about the hole of it, as it were the hole of an uh, habergon, that it may be, that it be not rent. And beneath upon the hem of it, the hem of the robe, thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet, and round about the hem thereof, and bells of gold between them round about. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe round about. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out, that he die not. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, and grave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And thou shalt put it on a blue lace, that it may be upon the mitre, Upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things. 
which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And thou shalt embroider the coat of fine linen, and thou shalt make the mitre of fine linen, and thou shalt make the girdle of needlework. We will stop there. Notice back in verse 36, the Bible says, And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, and grave upon it like the engravings of a signet. And here's what the engraving will say. And here I will point you out to where it is. You can, so this is right here. This turban is the miter. The gold plate is right there. Okay? And on that gold plate, you would find engraved in that holiness to the Lord. So I'd like to preach, uh, although we're going to look at several items this evening, the title is Holiness uh, to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word, and uh, we pray that as we consider the details of the priestly garment, uh, Lord, help us to see how they point us to our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that those things are a shadow, and they communicate to us uh, the greatness of Jesus Christ and His work on our behalf. But specifically in the priestly garment, uh, what is our standing in the person of Jesus Christ? Help us to see those things clearly, that we may uh, enjoy uh, in a greater sense, the wonder of redemption and the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so far we've looked at uh, several things. Remember, we began with the ephod, and the ephod is right here. And then we looked at the breastplate. The breastplate is connected to the ephod. Remember that those are not to be separated. The ephod from the breastplate, they are connected here at the shoulder with a golden chain on each side. And here's the breastplate. So this is the square. So it blends in. It's the same material, but there would be a gold, uh, gold um, uh, settings for each stone. On each stone would be the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we looked at that. And inside of this breastplate, is the Urim and the Thummim, and we mentioned that that's how God throughout um, the history of the nation of Israel would reveal Himself to His people. And the fullness of that revelation of God towards the people of the earth is Jesus Christ. He is the fullness. He is the greatest manifestation of the Urim and the Thummim as we find in the priestly garment. But now we move uh, towards several things. We're going to look here at the robe. So underneath the ephod and the breastplate, you would find the robe of blue. And so you see it right underneath that. Then we're going to move to look at the gold plate up top. Uh, we don't see it. Can you zoom out a little bit of that picture? I don't know if we could see it uh, right all the way down. Okay, yeah, there you go. So you, we're going to look at the golden bells. I'm not sure what happened here with the microphone. Can you hear me? <laughs> And so we're going to look at the pomegranates. The pomegranates are going to be three colors, blue, purple, and scarlet. And between each pomegranate, gold bells. And so we're going to look at those three things and see how those things point us to Jesus Christ. The first thing we note is that underneath this garment, and you can see it here at the bottom right here, is a robe of blue. You see the sleeves coming out here, the blue on the bottom. That will go beyond uh, what you see, the ephod, right? And so uh, this is what we see here. Notice verse 31, And thou shalt make the robe of the ephod all of blue. Now notice the words that he says. Although we have ind individual pieces that are mentioned separately, if you notice, they are yet connected one with another. Because the verse says in verse 31, Thou shalt make the robe of the ephod. And so this robe is considered the robe of the ephod. And so they are together, separate pieces, but they are to be seen together. And so it is interesting to notice the connection with each piece of the priestly garments. Remember that the breastplate, for example, was not to be separated from the ephod. 
And here, this blue robe is called the robe of the ephod. And so although there's a lot of different pieces, a lot of different components, they are all one. And I think that speaks to us of Jesus Christ, that he has many qualities. His works has many description, but his person is one. It is singular, but it all works together. You see, every piece of the priestly garment is to be, yes, understood individually, but it is also to be understood as being part of the whole. And so there's a complete picture for us. We notice here that this robe specifically is a robe all of blue. Now, uh, the blue, as we have repeatedly declared in the tabernacle when we find the color, as we looked at even the uh, the, the, the ephod of the priest, you have the three colors. You have the blue, the purple, and the scarlet. And the blue throughout the tabernacle and the priestly garment is repeatedly declared or speaks of Jesus Christ as originating from heaven, that He is the one who came down from heaven. We are reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where the Bible says, the first man, Adam, is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is talking about the resurrection and he says that uh, in uh, Adam all die, but in Christ shall all be made alive. And so our death is connected to Adam, but our resurrection is connected to Jesus Christ. And our, in our resurrection, the likeness to Adam will be completely stamped out. It will be completely removed. And so we know here that the blue speaks of the, orig the origination of our Savior, that He came from heaven. And although the priest is a picture or a shadow of Jesus Christ, it is an imperfect picture because that priest was human. But our high priest is divine. And so he is not of the earth. Those priests from the tribe of Levi were of the earth and they bore the image of Adam. But Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest, we will, will be made in his likeness one day. He bears the image of the heavenly. And so we see here that this robe is completely to be made all of, of blue. Notice the details that is mentioned, that there shall be a hole on the top of it in the midst thereof. And so this robe would not be a typical robe. As we see it here, it sits underneath the ephod. But the detail says that this robe was to be put on in the same way that the ephod was to be put on. The ephod would have to be put on from the top. Uh, with uh, the front part and the back part with a hole for the head to fit in. There was only one hole on the top of the robe as well. No holes, notice, for the arms. And so it would come over the head and rest on the priest. Uh, and the only similar fashion that I can give us a picture of today is a poncho. You know what a poncho is, right? Um, I think different... Um, Hispanic country wear them, but it's basically uh, a blanket with a hole in the middle, right? And you throw that on top of you and it rests on your body. So this robe notice is the same idea to where there's only one hole in this robe. The priest throws it on top of him and it rests on his body. And when he puts the ephod on, it brings it all together. So it's not flowing like that. But the point is it's one piece with one hole in the midst of it where the head comes in. And so that's the description of it. We uh, read, and so the uh, modern-day poncho is what you can think of, all right? Uh, now, the, the ephod would be placed upon the robe with the girdle, keeping everything together. Remember, the girdle uh, or the belt would be what would bring everything together. And so that's the, what sits underneath the ephod. And we remember here 
the picture for us is that Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, he is the earthly one, is just a shadow, is the one who came from heaven. We read further after the robe uh, in verse 33, And beneath upon the hem of it thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet. And so we read here now that at the bottom of the robe, as we pointed out, there are pomegranates hanging down. Uh, the word hem means the edge. And so I think that's still used today, right? The hem of, uh, of a dress or the hem uh, of, um, of pants. Right, okay, all right. <laughs> and so at the bottom, on the edge, you would find gold bells and pomegranates. Now notice here, the pomegranates are uh, uh, three, uh, made of three colors. Uh, pomegranates, notice, of blue and of purple and of scarlet. Now, the pomegranate is a fruit. How many of you have eaten a pomegranate before? Okay, so you know what that looks like. This pomegranate is, I believe, representative of Jesus Christ because of the colors that are used. Uh, throughout the tabernacle and the priestly garment, those colors have continually pointed us to Jesus Christ. Remember, the blue speaks of His divine origin. The purple speaks of His royal pedigree. And the scarlet speaks of his work of suffering. And the colors really answer for us uh, the important and fundamental questions concerning Jesus Christ. So think about in the blue, we think about his divine origin. One of the fundamental questions we ask about Jesus Christ is, where did he come from? That's important. Jesus, who is eternally existent, from eternity past, came from heaven to earth. John 1.1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh. He was not created. He existed before. He was made flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's a fundamental question that the churches today must ask. Where did Jesus come from? He is not a created being. He has been eternally existent from eternity past, and He was made in the likeness of men. That's what the Bible says. The second fundamental question is, as we think of the purple, which speaks of His royal pedigree, no doubt He is the Son of David, but he is also the Son of God. Uh, and the second fundamental question is not just where did he come from, but who is Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus is God in the flesh. This is the uh, great mystery of godliness that 1 Timothy 3.15 declares. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. What a wonderful mystery it is. He is of royal pedigree. That is who he is. The third, the scarlet, speaks of his suffering work, which brings us to a third fundamental question, and that is, what did Jesus come to do? Where did he come from? Who is he? And what did he come to do? Well, Jesus Christ, in his own words, came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He declared that himself in Matthew 20, 28, and in Mark 10, 45. And so these colors in the tabernacle and on the priest speak of Christ. While there is no direct connection made in Scripture between Christ and the pomegranate fruit, we do find that the pomegranate fruit is spoken of in the context of God's blessing in the promised land, and also the pomegranate fruit is spoken of in reference of that which satisfies the soul. Now, let me give you those two things. Uh, when we think about the pomegranate, it is associated with God's blessing in the promised land. You'll find that in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7. Where the scripture says, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, 
of fountains and depth that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. And so the pomegranate fruit is brought into view when the children of Israel were to think about the blessing of God in the promised land. And there's a second thing we find in the scripture uh, that, is, that, that speaks of the pomegranate, and that is the pomegranate is spoken of as that which satisfies the longing of the soul. You find three references in the book of the Song of Solomon. Now, that's not a book that we typically frequent, <laughs> but the Song of Solomon, let me give you two verses, Song, uh, Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 3, Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet, and thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. And the idea here is that it satisfies the longing of the soul. In chapter 6, verse 7, As a piece of pomegranate are thy temples within thy locks. And so again, we find that uh, that it is uh, spoken of in reference to that which satisfy the longing of the soul. Now, I often pause and hesitate to make a connection. Uh, if I do not, uh, if I'm not absolutely certain that the connection should be made. Uh, here, between the pomegranate and Jesus Christ. But the colors of the blue, the purple, and the scarlet is what the pomegranates are to be. So, Although I cannot say that these are definitely point us to Jesus Christ, here's a verse that makes the connection. There is no doubt, however, that Jesus Christ himself is the full demonstration of God's blessing upon the people of the earth. I think that to that there is no doubt. The promise, by the way, remember, was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And so the pomegranates is associated to the blessing of God, while Jesus Christ is the greatest manifestation of God's blessing upon the people of the earth. And furthermore, Jesus Christ is He alone who is able to satisfy the longing of the soul. Jesus Christ himself declared in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He will satisfy. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. And so the pomegranate in Scripture is associated with the blessing of God. Jesus is the blessing of God. Man. The pomegranate is uh, used in reference to satisfying the longing of the soul. And Jesus Christ, it is He who satisfied the longing, the longing of the soul. He brings complete satisfaction to the souls of men. Now with those pomegranates, if you notice, the order as we find back in Exodus chapter 28, He says in verse 34, a golden bell and a pomegranate a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe round about. And so what you would have probably is this order. You'd have a golden bell. Then you probably have a blue pomegranate. Then you would have a golden bell. Then you would have a purple pomegranate. Then you'd have a golden bell. And then I'm not looking where I'm pointing. So, And then you would have a scarlet pomegranate and then a golden bell. And that's how probably they would be rotated. But between each of them would be a golden bell. What is this golden bell? Again, we're going to look at the bell in just a moment and the significance of the bell, but notice what he says, it shall be upon Aaron to minister. By the way, this is the garment, not of all of the priests. This is the garment for the high priest. In other words, not all the priests are wearing this. Specifically, this particular garment is going to be worn on one day, the Day of Atonement. 
And so this is the, the, the garment of the high priest here. Aaron is mentioned as ministering in this specific garment. At the end of this chapter, you find there are other things that are given to Aaron's sons that are different than this main garment here for the high priest. And so this garment is connected to the specific ministry of the high priest. Notice what he said now, when we have the bells in mind, uh, notice what the Bible says in verse 35, and it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out, that he die not. The, the question here is, what is to be understood as his sound? His sound. Well, I think the context should give us an indication. Remember here that at the hem of the blue robe are golden bells. Bells make noise. And I know, and this is just uh, me taking it, but uh, uh, I really appreciate people and grandparents, often they get ki uh, toys for our children. But they always make noise. They always make noise. And so we have to say at some point, can you get something that doesn't make noise, please? There's enough noise in the house. Golden bells at the bottom of the robe. What would that tell you? That you would hear the bells ring every step the priest takes. Now, specifically on the Day of Atonement. Now, we're going to see why that is significant. So, at the hem of the blue robe are golden bells. As Aaron, the high priest would proceed on the Day of Atonement, we'll go look at that later, to enter into the tabernacle, he would be hidden from human view, would he not? In other words, the, the priest on the outside, and even those who have all of their tribes laid out around the tabernacle, which was the center of the camp, people often at the time of the meeting, they would, they would stand at their front, at the front of their tents, and they would see the high priest as he would make the offering of the brazen altar, but then he would proceed to go into the tabernacle, and then he would be hidden from view, and the people could not see him anymore. While the high priest was unseen to those outside the tabernacle, he could be heard by the bells. While they heard the bells move through the tabernacle, they would hear the bells. When you hear something, you can place it where it is. And they would hear the priest enter into the holy place. And they would hear him move through the holy place. And then they would hear when the bells are sounding in the holy of holies. You see, the people would be assured then that the high priest was busy on their behalf and that his ministry was accepted of God. You see, as we read here uh, the text, notice with me, it seems that the bells were intended of God to be heard of the people. Uh, who is the designer of this garment? God. Moses didn't come up with this. This is God speaking to Moses. Moses is going to relay that to Aaron and to the people. And notice here, this is God speaking. Verse 35, And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord. In other words, God designed this garment specifically with the bells at the bottom so that as he proceeds to go into the Holy of Holies, the people could hear the ministry of the high priest. They would know that he is going in. But although unseen, they could hear the sound. Now some people have said, well, that's the sound of him making intercession for them. I, I, I don't think that's what he's speaking of in the context of the bells. I think it is the sound. We know that the ministry of the priest, the high priest, is a ministry of intercession. But here's the key. When do you know whether the priest's ministry has been accepted of God or not? As long as you hear the bells. Notice at the end of this verse, he says he's going to do that, that he die not. 
When do you know that the priest is dead? When you cease to hear the bells. When you hear the ding, ling, 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 and then no sound. That would be a bad sign. But as long as they hear the bells, they know that they have an advocate, someone representing them before the Lord. And so God designed it this way so that the people would hear the ministry of the priest, the high priest. The people would probably think when they heard the bells finally into the Holy of Holies, there he is standing before the Lord in the Holy of Holies on our behalf. Correct? That's what he was there for. Uh, he was there, remember, with the breastplate with the names of the twelve tribes. The twelve tribes were also on his shoulders and he was there, remember, when we looked at the breastplate and the shoulder pieces, we know that it's supposed to come before the Lord as a memorial before the Lord. And so they hear the sound of the ministry of the high priest. And so the work of intercession here, I believe, is highlighted for us. If you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, let's look at chapter 7. Hebrews and uh, chapter 7. By the way, uh, if you read through the book of Exodus, Leviticus, the book of Hebrews, although uh, less chapters than all Exodus and Leviticus, Deuteronomy and Numbers, uh, unlocks for us the key to those books. In Hebrews 7, uh, notice with me in uh, verse 22. He says, so, uh, by, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Well, that's just logic, right? Those priests, that first priest, Aaron, he died. His sons, they died. Their sons, they died. They all died. But this man, verse 24, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. I, I want you to think about the children of Israel. They hear the priest and he goes into the holy place. They hear the bells. They hear the sound. Then he is in the holy of holies and they still hear the sound. He's making intercession for us. But guess what? He would leave that place. That would only happen once a year. But Jesus, the Bible says, He has an unchangeable priesthood. Let me ask you this. Do you hear the sound of His ministry? Not with physical bells, but with the spiritual bells, understanding that He is not like those earthly priests who have to come in and out of the presence of God because they were unworthy to remain there, but Jesus Christ remains there. He goes on to say, <clears throat> he's got an unchangeable priesthood, verse 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity, but the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, who is consecrated forevermore. Notice the priest says, going back to Exodus 28, his sound would be heard as he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out, notice that he die not. Should the priest fail to conduct himself properly, should he fail to wear the prescribed priestly garment, should he fail to minister as commanded, death would be his doom, and you would hear the sound of the bells cease. Surely then, as long as the bells are heard, the people are comforted. We understand that the priest was an imperfect picture of Jesus Christ, for the priest of the earthly tabernacle, they were all sinners. 
In other words, you would have trepidation if you're the children of Israel and say, well, I, I know that priest and I know his family. I know some things about him. I grew up around him. I know the things he did and I know the things that he said. Your confidence might wane a little if you see him enter into the tabernacle. But here's the truth about us is that it is not a man who has entered into the presence of God on our behalf. It is Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the Son of God who entered on our behalf. Jesus Christ, we understand that He was not as those priests, sinners, but Christ did always that which pleased the Father. John 8, 28, Then Jesus said unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, and then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself, but as My Father hath taught Me, I speak these things, and He that sent Me is with Me. The Father hath not left Me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. That's Jesus. Aaron could not say that. He couldn't say, I do always those things that please the Father. Ask him about the golden calf. What do you think about his sons? They died for mishandling the holy things. Can you imagine the confidence that you would have in the priestly, <laughs> in the priest with Aaron and his sons and what happened there? See, they're imperfect pictures, but Jesus Christ... Oh, He is worthy. He is sufficient. He did always those things that please Him. See, the comfort that we have is not the comfort in a man. It is not even we are comforted with our own performance, or our own goodness, or our own righteousness. The only comfort we have is that we are found in the perfect Son of God. And that's where our comfort is found, in the person of Jesus Christ. So we see the robe and the bells and the pomegranates at the bottom and they speak of, of Christ and the ministry before the Lord. But then we go to the gold plate. Notice on the miter in verse 36. He says, And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold and grave upon it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord, and thou shalt put it on a blue lace that it may be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. So here we have a plate of pure gold. It was placed upon the mitre. The word mitre, if you want to go all the way up there, so we could look at the, the, the headpiece. All right, this is the mitre right there, okay? Uh, you may call this um, in, in our uh, day uh, tiara or turban, right? That, that is what would sit, uh, almost like a crown, and that's how uh, that was part of the priestly garment. And on this mitre, there was a plate of gold placed. And so there you see the plate of gold. Now, you can't see it right there, but it mentions the blue lacer. And so to attach the gold plate... To the mitre, it was attached with a blue lace. Again, the blue is significant here, and we'll bring it together here in just a moment. But notice the engraving of this gold plate is this, holiness to the Lord. Now, holiness speaks of several things. First of all, holiness refers to that which is set apart for God. In John 4, 43, Jesus said unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And Jesus Christ was set apart to do his specific work. Uh, he was holiness unto the Lord. But holiness also refers to that which is without corruption and without blemish. Well, Jesus Christ, for such an high priest, became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. But it is Aaron that's going to bear that gold plate, holiness to the Lord. It obviously doesn't speak of him. If, uh, if I was asked to pick, you get to pick anybody in the tribe of Israel, to be the high priest, I would not have picked Aaron. I, 
what I'm saying here is God knows what's going to happen here in a few chapters. So God is not looking for perfection in man. Perfection is found in Jesus Christ. Uh, hence, the blue lace. <laughs> Notice, holiness to the Lord. <laughs> not you, Aaron. You don't uh, bear the likeness of the heavenly. You bear the likeness of the earthly, Aaron. And so the holiness to the Lord will be attached with a blue lace, signifying that the one who is completely dedicated to the Father is the one who comes from heaven. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He says, And thou shalt put it on a blue lace, that it may be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. Again, the color blue speaks of Christ, whose origin is heavenly. It is true that the Levites, they were dedicated to the Lord. Right? Uh, this is the tribe that God chose for uh, the ministering of the tabernacle. These men uh, who would attend to the service of the tabernacle were all imperfect men. By the blue lace holding the gold plate to the mitre, we are pointed to the one who would be perfect before the Lord. This gold plate will be upon Aaron's forehead. Notice that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things. And uh, that made me pause. Because how does iniquity and holy go together? Those are separate things. That Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. Remember, this garment is specifically to be used on the Day of Atonement. It is to be worn only by the high priest. Aaron would bear the iniquity of the holy things. How does iniquity and holy things, how do those reconcile? Well, again, the word iniquity means perversity, false, evil. And the word holy means that which is sacred, pure, dedicated, and consecrated. Now, here's the truth. When we think about here, to bear the iniquity of the holy things. The holy things here he's talking, he's going to talk and address about the service of the priest. He is dealing with holy things. That means the things of the Lord. Uh, all of the items of the tabernacle were holy. They were set apart for a specific use. The priestly garment was holy. It was dedicated for a specific use. The very service of the priests that were to be conduct conducted uh, uh, in the outer court, in the Holy of Holies, and once a year, uh, or in the holy place, and then once a year in the Holy of Holies, those are holy things. And the, the, the high priest is to uh, conduct the holy, uh, holy service, but when the people come and they bring their sacrifices and their offerings they do so in iniquity. You see, the truth is that no sacrifice brought to the Lord could make those that brought the sacrifices perfect. Neither could the priest offering the sacrifice on the behalf of the people make the priest perfect. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's see that. So when Aaron is, has this, this gold plate on his forehead, holiness to the Lord, that Aaron is to bear the iniquity of the holy things. What's the holy thing? Part of the holy things is, well, the children of Israel are to bring a, a lamb. They are to bring a goat as a sacrifice, and the priest is going to offer. That's the holy things. But are you aware that when they would go about to bring their sacrifices, often they would do so imperfectly? So what do you mean by that? Well, from the millions of them, surely one of them would say, oh, here, here we go again, the Day of Atonement, i got to give a lamb. And he would bring the lamb just because it was his duty to. But the priest would still proceed to offer sacrifice with that lamb even though his heart was not dedicated to the Lord. And he didn't do it out of the sincerity of his heart. Hebrews 10.1 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers 
They're on too perfect. Who's the comers? That's the children of Israel. They would come with their sacrifices to the priest, and the priest would offer the sacrifice on their behalf. But do you know that those sacrifices did not make the comers perfect? You see, they would do the things God commanded, but they would do the things God commanded imperfectly, in iniquity. And so Aaron, even though he is involved in holy things, he bears the iniquity of the holy things before the Lord. He goes on to say in Hebrews 10.1, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. The iniquity of the holy things. What is it that God takes pleasure in? His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, a lamb and a goat, that's a shadow of Jesus Christ, but an imperfect. Why? Because that's earthly things. But notice here in verse 6, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, that's Jesus, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said I, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's what he says. And so the sacrifice was offered year after year after year. And the priest, although he pictures Jesus Christ, he ministers, he bears the iniquity of the holy things. And you know what? When you see all those things, they were shadows. When you look at those sacrifices, God had no pleasure in them. See, a, a lamb is a lamb in the physical realm. Well, that can't take away your sins. It's just a picture. It communicates what Jesus would do. God had no pleasure in them. And then Jesus said, Lo, I come. To do what? To bring pleasure to God. You see, I think here a lesson we can learn by application is uh, sometimes we need to be careful not to become too impressed with ourselves in our service for the Lord and remind ourselves that our acceptance is not found because of what we do, but our acceptance in the presence of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Notice, it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Notice the wording here. It, the golden plate, shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Who's the they? That's the children of Israel. Right? That they, on the outside, remember, they're the ones that hear the sound of the priest by the bells. They hear his ministry. They hear him go in and stand and represent them before the Lord. And here, the priest here, as we think about the golden plate, holiness to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord, they bring their offerings to the high priest and he brings those before the Lord. It uh, uh, bears the iniquity of the holy things. But notice here, this, uh, this uh, gold plate on his forehead will always be there. Uh, so that they may be accepted before the Lord. And so here's a picture of, of Jesus Christ. When it says here, holiness before the Lord. Aaron is going to always have this gold plate. Why should he always have this gold plate? He says, that they, 
the people on the outside may be accepted before God. You, you see what that means? Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, the picture is that we come into, in the presence of God, and when He, our high priest, comes into the presence of God, He bears us holiness to the Lord, and we are accepted. Holiness to the Lord, we know that speaks of Christ, but what that means is that our acceptance is only in Christ. It's not in ourselves. It is the priest that goes into the Holy of Holies with the gold plate. Here it is Aaron. It shall always be upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. It is the priest that wears the golden plate, yet it is the people that are accepted before the Lord. Why? Because the people are represented on the priest. And so are we in the person of Jesus Christ. I like what one Bible teacher said. He said, Oh, Christian, look away from yourself with your 10,000 failures and fix your eyes on the golden plate. Behold in the perfections of your great high priest the measure of thine eternal acceptance with God. Christ is our sanctification as well as our righteousness. Let us not look at our miserable failures, but let's look at the perfection and the holiness of Jesus Christ and know that that is the only way that we can be accepted in the presence of God. If anything, those things help us to make much of Christ and less of ourselves. John the Baptist put it this way, He must increase but I must decrease. More of the Lord, less of us. What we learn from the priest is that it's all about Jesus Christ and our standing before God is only in Christ. We're memorizing Romans 8.1. The emphasis is as follows. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We like the no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation, and that's emphatic. Never, now, and ever. No condemnation. But the key is that the only reason why there is no condemnation is because we are in Christ. He has brought us before God. So Christian, Look to the golden plate, not your miserable failures and my miserable failures for acceptance. If my acceptance was dependent on my performance, there's no chance. But in Christ, He has brought us to God. Let's pray.